It's one of those worshipful times you, you don't, do I, do I clap? Do I not clap? Do I just remain still before the Lord? Sometimes it's, I mean, I, I, would, I just wanted to sit there for a few more moments and just pray that. Give me the Lord Jesus. The good news is that God, that's a prayer request God loves to answer. Amen? I'm going to invite you to stand, and uh, we're going to read from Matthew chapter 6, the reading of God's Word. And uh, I'm going to start back in verse 5, just so we can hear uh, from Jesus and maybe a little broader scope of, of what not to do when we pray and then what we and how we should pray. Matthew 6, beginning in verse 5. When you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. A brief reminder together, who you are in secret, that's the real you. From the fall on, we've been wired to present publicly an us that's not really us. So who you are when nobody but God is around, that's who you really are. What you love when nobody else is around, that's what you really love. Verse 7, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. You don't have to go through life trying to impress others. And when it comes to prayer, you don't have to worry about trying to impress God. Do you know why you don't have to worry about impressing God? Because we're not all that impressive. I mean, if you knew what God knows and you were who God is, you wouldn't be impressed with you either. Amen? You don't have to worry about that. So don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This is a cliche, and I'm hesitant to use cliches, but I want you to really think about what it means. God knows what you need better than you do. Do you really believe that? Because that's what the Bible just said. Your Father knows what you need, what you really need before you ask Him. So then pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Well, let's pray together. Give us, forgive us, lead us. Give us, forgive us, and lead us, Father, in a way that would hallow your name. Honor your kingdom. And be in line with your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you keep your Bible open there in uh, Matthew chapter 6, the title of the sermon is uh, Bread, Busyness, Worry, and Worship. And so we'll really emphasize verse 11 there, give us this day our daily bread. One of my favorite books on the subject of prayer is by an author named Paul Miller. And if you've got a sermon insert or sermon outline and follow along, uh, he's got a quote right at the very top. And here's what he says. Learning to pray does not offer us a less busy life. It offers us a less busy heart. So learning to pray is not going to give you a less busy life, but it does offer a less busy heart. Anybody in the room have a hard time going to bed 
last night and to sleep last night because your mind was just going, or your heart was just going. Or you woke up sometime in the night, and uh, as soon as you woke up, you're like, oh, no, don't wake up. Does anybody else do this? Don't wake up. Don't start thinking. And then as soon as you try not to start thinking, you've started thinking, and then it's just gone, and you just know it's at 3 a.m., and I'm going to sit here, lay here, be here until 6. Uh, you've got a busy heart. The hope for your life is not circumstances changing. The hope that God offers is you changing no matter the circumstances. The biggest need you and I have, according to this prayer, uh, is to hallow the name of the Father. That's the biggest need you have. And, and in line with the Scripture, you see there are six things that are asked of God in the Lord's Prayer. The first three have to do with the Lord and His glory. And then the second three have to do with us. So what we're, what we're trying to do, or what we want for our lives, uh, but we can't disconnect the two. Uh, friends, there will never be anything for your good that do not glorify God. Ever. If it's going to be for your good, it's going to glorify God. So we're trying to, by God's grace, uh, take prayer out of the uh, things that we have to do and move it into the things that we want to do. So prayer is not an invitation or it's not a task you have to accomplish. It's an invitation to you for you to enjoy. Do you have somebody in your life you just love to be around? Man, if I can go get coffee with so-and-so or I get on the phone or if somebody's text pops up, it just immediately kind of brightens you. If you know God, there's nothing better to know him as he really, really is. So uh, we see that Jesus' life was absolutely saturated with prayer. In the early church, open up the book of Acts, they're devoted to prayer. So today we enjoy so many material blessings they did not have and yet seem to lack a spiritual fervor, spiritual power that they enjoyed. And back in 2010, I went with a group here from Calvary to uh, Port-au-Prince, Haiti. It was right after that devastating earthquake. And we flew down there, uh, and we're staying at an orphanage, and it was really a life-changing experience. I, I, I said after that trip, I will never complain the rest of my life. And uh, haven't quite lived up to that avow, but uh, did learn that, that really I don't have anything to complain about. And it's just a, it was just a life-changing uh, week, and the children there are just the best. And so uh, the orphanage was our uh, kind of home base, and we would get on a bus and go out to different places around uh, Port-au-Prince and, and distribute food. And uh, everywhere we went, the kids were just awesome, and they'd run up, and I'd high-five. You know, there's a language barrier, but as the, as the days progressed, I noticed the kids would, would call me something. And I didn't quite understand what it was, and it happened several times. And by, by, by the, about the third day, I was riding on the bus with one of our translators, and uh, his name was uh, Henry, and he was sitting beside me. And I said, Henry, it sounds like the kids here keep calling me a name. And to my ears, it sounds like Poco. Does that mean pastor? That's what I said. He said, no, that's not what that name means. And then he didn't say anything else. And, 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 uh, and I said, well, well, can you tell me what it means? And he said, oh, don't worry about it. Uh, uh, the kids are just having a little bit of fun. Well, that didn't squelch my concerns, right? So uh, I, I said, uh, it, it's, it's okay. I mean, I, I like to interact with the children, so, so I want to kind of know what they're saying. And, uh, and he starts kind of laughing, and he said, uh, well, the word, the word closest in English, I think, is 
fatso. That's what they're saying. So I laughed and I, and I said, oh, I must not have heard what they're saying right. And then he laughed and said, no, you heard it right. Uh, he said, I heard it too. So in America, nobody would ever really called me that. Six feet tall, actually just under, if I'm honest. 215, 220, thereabouts. Nobody would ever walked up to me and called me, called me that with our diets here in America. But in Haiti, where they might, might have one meal a day, and if they get that one meal a day, it's mainly rice, then anybody walking around 215, 220. So when the kids see me, poco, poco. I think we've arrived at a day in America when you go to, when it comes to prayer, well, here's what I'm trying to say. Let's get the metrics right. Let's not look around the culture and say, this is what healthy prayer for a church would look like or my life would look like. Because if you do that, that's not going to work out very well. We're going to open up our Bible, look to Jesus, look at the church in Acts when they're not so well-fed, desiring all the comforts of the world that I, that I think by God's grace we could say we need help. We're really weak when it comes to prayer. We're really, we're really weak when it comes to desiring prayer. And where we end up is in this kind of spiritual space where praying we should, but we just keep telling ourselves we'll get around to it. And, and the Lord's Prayer helps us understand what prayer isn't so that we can understand what it is so that we could confess some weakness. And here's the good news. Jesus knows we're weak on this. The disciples were weak on, on this. They go up and, and say, Lord, would you teach us to pray? They're just like us. The disciples are just like us. They were drawn to the way the kingdoms of the world are built. There's power that you get or riches that you get. And that's how Alexander the Great did it. That's what they've always got in their mind. We want Israel to be like that. We want Jerusalem to rise up and throw off the Romans and get power. And Jesus is saying, I've not come to build a kingdom like the kingdoms of the world. Satan offered him those, right? Matthew 4 took him up on a mountain and said, if you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. So let's just be honest. The kingdoms of the world have a measure of glory. And some of us are enthralled with it. They have a measure of glory. In your heart, would you say they're the most glorious? Or has your heart been drawn to a kingdom that's more glorious? Hallowed be your name, Father. Your kingdom come and your will be done. Hallowed is a word that means most honored, most, most beautiful. It means that God's better than anything else. We've got a verse out on the church sign from Psalm 8410, I think, where it says, better is your Better is one day in your courts than a thousand days elsewhere. And every time I say, I'm, let's change the sign, I look at that verse and I say, I, I, I just want it to stay there because I want a heart that is utterly convinced that that's true. Because, y'all, I've spent the thousand days elsewhere. Anybody with me? And they're not better. They're not. One day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. So again here, if we big picture, Lord's Prayer, six requests, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The first three start with God. Prayer starts with God. Amen? Prayer begins with who he is. And, and then the 
The second three are about what God would provide for our good, that we need daily bread, we need forgiveness of our debts, and and we need him to not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So again, if it doesn't glorify God, it's not ultimately for your good. We're so weak when it comes to temptation. We, we believe just this one time, I know it doesn't glorify God, but this one time, uh, it'll be good for us here in the moment. And friends, if, if you kind of got something going on in life that doesn't glorify God, but you keep telling yourself it's for your good, it's just a matter of time before you see that it, that it isn't for your good. But let's flip, let's flip it around. Let's say it positively. If it does glorify God, hallelujah, it is for your good. Amen? God desires good things for you. He is not a restrictive father. He is not holding out on you. That's Genesis 3 lies. That's original lies. Did God really say? I can't believe God would restrict you like that. No, that, that's how we're wired. We ignore the thousand of trees that we can't eat from, and we're just caught up on the one that we can't, right? But man, taste and see that the Lord is good. So let's take this phrase, or this request rather, uh, Matthew 6, 11, give us this day our daily bread, and we'll walk through it one phrase at a time, and uh, hopefully it'll glorify God, and you'll see that it's for your, your good. So uh, first word there is the word give. Give. Hey, God's a cheerful giver. Isn't that good news? He, he's, he's not, uh, again, up in heaven saying, I, I, I'm going to hoard what I have. I'm going to keep it for my, myself. But listen to the scripture. God being rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us. Raised us up with Christ. Nobody's a greater giver than God. Are you a giver? Or is your heart selfish? Right? Let, let, just, just hear some scripture. Man, James 1.5. These are all verses that are going to use the verb give referring to what God, uh, how God gives. James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, how many of you lack wisdom? If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So God generously gives wisdom. 1 Corinthians 15.57. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, God gives wisdom, God gives victory. Psalm 29, 11, the Lord will give strength to his people. Anybody need strength? Now, God will not give you strength to build your kingdom, but he will give you strength that you can humbly seek to live for his kingdom. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Jeremiah 24, 7, then I will give them a new heart. Oh, praise God. I will give them a new heart to know me that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. You weren't born with a heart for God. You were born with a heart for yourself. But you have to be given a new heart. You can't earn it, right? The Lord gives. The request isn't, I've earned my bread, so now I'm going to demand it. That's not what he's saying, right? Give us, give us. Number 626, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Isaiah 61, verse 3. To those who mourn in Zion. Anybody, that's where you are today. And you already predict Monday's going to be morning Monday. It's got stuff in life. Man, listen to this. To give them 
beauty for ashes. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Later on, right here in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 11, if you then are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So he's a giving God. God's generous. These are the things God gives. God gives wisdom. God gives victory. God gives peace. God gives a new heart. God gives uh, beauty for ashes. God gives you the desires of your heart when you delight in him, right? At our house right now, hardly a day goes by. I'm not going to name any names. There's some people who live at our house that I love dearly real territorial over their food. Now, hardly a day goes by. Who ate my leftover pizza? Man, they're ready, to, they're ready to go. Like, they're ready to fight. Who drank my smoothie? Who took my protein shake? Who got into my bag of apple cinnamon rice cakes? Now I'm getting personal, but... God, these things, victory, peace, wisdom... God's not up there saying, oh, he's given you Christ. How will he not with him graciously give us all things? He's giving you the kingdom. The kingdom of God comes by grace. He's not a hoarder. Now, James 4, 3 says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. So we get the order. If we're people who are hallowing his name, wanting his kingdom to come and his will to be done, that's going to have a huge impact on what we actually ask for. So here's how it goes. If you really want your name to be hallowed and your kingdom to come and your will be done, he said, give us the cake that we asked for today. That sweet, savory cake. But Jesus said, no, you ask for bread. Paul Miller quoted him earlier. I'm going to quote him again a couple times. If you're not praying, then you are quietly confident that time, money, and talent are all you need in life. That's true, isn't it? You know, one of the things, we were talking about this last Wednesday night at prayer meeting. One of the things that God's doing, I believe, in our generation is He's, he's allowing us to see how unreliable money health, our kingdom, our uh, intuition, our technology, our medicine. I don't mean that in you know, just uh, our advancements, our, uh, our ability to live self-sufficiently apart from him. God, God's revealing that, that we're, not, uh, we're, we're not able to do that the way that we often are confident that we, uh, that we can. And then he says one of the subtlest hindrances uh, to prayer is probably the most pervasive in the broader culture, and in our churches. We prize intellect, competency, and wealth. Because we can do life without God, praying seems nice, but unnecessary. Money can do what prayer does, and it's quicker and less time-consuming. Our trust is in ourselves, and in our talents, makes us structurally independent of God. As a result, exhortations to prayer don't stick. So I hope in our time together in the Lord's Prayer, it hasn't just been you hearing me exhorting you, just start praying, just start praying, just start praying. Hopefully it's an it's a exhortation. God give us grace for our hearts to start changing, our hearts to start changing and changing. 
So, so give us. Now, I've shared with you before, and I'm trying to not move past it. You know, part, part of the reality for me is we live in this generation where so many good resources are accessible. And I start a good book, and I'm like, man, this is life-changing. And then all of a sudden, another book, and there's 10 other books, and here's all the blogs, and all the you got so much access. So sometimes something will come along, and I'll hear it, and I'll say, that was great. And I'll just kind of quickly move on without it actually bringing real change to my life. So back at the summer when we were at Life Action Camp, the speaker said this. He's talking about being a dad, being, being, being parents said, don't raise your children to live a life where they don't need the power of God. And that's a huge temptation for us. To just kind of set them up for a life where it's there's part, part of a heart as a parent, where there's no struggle, there's, there's no adversity, it's just comfortable. And he said, you need to be careful about that. And I would say as for our church, we, we need to be careful about seeking to do things that we don't need God to show up in order for them to be done. Amen? So give us... Give us, now the second phrase, us and our. Give us our daily bread. Or give us this day our daily bread. God wants to provide for you, but not just you. And in providing for you, he's not providing for you something that is just for your good. So, so here's a helpful way of, I think, listening to Jesus' prayer here. When you ask for things, are you asking things for just your life or are you asking for things that would bless the people of God? We're very individualistic. There are no first person single pronouns in the Lord's Prayer. No I's, no me's, no my's, right? The only single pronouns are second person, the yous and yours about God. And that's, that in and of itself is instructive for us, isn't it? He is alone, worthy. We're a part of the people that he is redeeming. So this is a check on all of our hearts. I'm not sure a follower of Jesus should use many first person pronouns at any time. Whatever you're doing, wherever you're going. Why not? Jesus said, if anyone come after me, he must deny himself and follow me. A lot of the things that I worry about in my life are things that should have gone when I denied myself to follow him. So give us, God's redeeming a people. Titus 2, if you want to jot these verses down, you read them later. One of my, this is a great a gospel passage. God is redeeming for himself a people who are zealous for good works, right? So it's us and our, not me and my. But, but that, that should also free you up to be generous. So you don't have to worry that God's going to provide for somebody else and not provide for you, right? They got theirs, where's mine? So I got to try to take or, or, or manipulate the situation. This is, a, this is the picture that I'm going to receive from God. Again, God, we're not going to receive everything from God that we want in our old nature, but we can receive everything from God that we need to follow Him. Next phrase is today. Give us today or this day our daily bread. 
12 years ago, you, you notice the first story was 10 years ago. This is 12 years ago, and this story probably has a lot to do with the other, if I'm just going to. Chick-fil-A was running a promotion of a free year of breakfast. And here was the promotion. You sign up, and if you go at 6 p.m. and stay on site until 6 a.m., you got a year's worth of breakfast. So I was sharing that with Julie, and we said, man, we're going. So we got our tent. We stayed right between Office Depot. There's a little grass patch. We set our tent up there. 6 p.m., you stay until 6 a.m. I mean, we just had a child. I don't even remember which child that was, but, you know, anyway, we won't go into all those, all those details. But we spent, Julie and I, hey, you might not have known this about us, we spent a night in the Chick-fil-A parking lot in a tent. The rules were you had to stay there on site and not leave. They've never done this again. It's just a one time. A year's supply of Chick-fil-A breakfast. So I was there. Couldn't have dragged me away. So at 6 a.m., after being on site all night, they gave us an envelope. And in the envelope, the 52 coupons for a free breakfast. They said it was a year's supply. It's not a year's supply. It's 52 days' supply. But in their thinking, one breakfast a week is a year's supply. Y'all, we used them. We used every one of those coupons. We, we love, we love the, we love year supply. Right? In our house, man, uh, uh, we, we have a, I, we're going to say we have a son that just immediately knows who he is. Loves ketchup. We go to Sam's Club, we get the biggest container of ketchup they have. A vat of ketchup. We have to put it in my truck bed. They bring a forklift. No, we really don't do that. But we love large containers of things. And we'd actually prefer if God gave us things that way. We want a lifetime supply of grace all at once. But God doesn't do things that way. Why not? And if God answered your prayer in such a way that once he gave it to you, you wouldn't need him for another year. There's really no way to do that, but you understand what I'm saying? Like, you remember Exodus chapter 16. The bread would come down from heaven, manna, right? They were only to collect enough for what? That day. A little bit more for Sabbath rest and those kinds of things. But they're just like us and we're just like them. Some people tried to get more than a day's supply. And what would happen to the manna? Spoil. Worms are all in it, right? So you can't eat bread on the first day of the month and then think you're good for the month. That's, that's not how bread works, right? So, so this is a confession in two parts. First, we actually have no idea what tomorrow holds. So to ask for God today to give us what we'll need tomorrow, we don't know. We don't know what tomorrow holds. No idea. How many people in the room right now, right now today, are dealing with circumstances you did not expect, you did not anticipate, you did not plan for, you did not put on the calendar? Is there anybody not in the room dealing with something that you said, I didn't know this was coming? 
We love to think that we can manage life. I love a planner. Anybody with me? Now, I can't even tell you how many apps I've downloaded on my phone to manage my day. Give me a little alert. And I end up deleting them all because I make plans and then I don't do them. It's like two hours in and I'm already behind. This is driving me crazy. I need, uh, this needs to go, right? But we think we can, we can kind of manage life. I see this. In our, in our little world, <laughs> there's a lot going on we didn't plan for. But I, I see the pressure. High school senior, where are you going to go? What are you going to do? Can, can we, we, might, we, might do a, we might bless our young people by just saying, here's how you answer that question. I don't know, but I love Jesus. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to live for his kingdom. Because we don't intend to do this, but when we think we've got it figured out, we start leaving God behind. Or you start saying, it's God's, God exists to bless my agenda. Here's what I want to do, and I'll begin to measure the love of God on the basis of whether he does what I tell him he should do. And we see that this is the heart of this prayer is someone who's left the world to follow Jesus, taken up the cross, hallowing his name, seeking to live in his kingdom, wanting his will to be done. So therefore, I ask for today daily bread. So, so number one, it's a confession. We have no idea what tomorrow holds. And, and number two, it is also a confession that jobs and health and relationships and financial assets and national stability and global peace can be upended very quickly. Very quickly. But we love to find our sense of security in those things. Can we confess together? Those things aren't secure. Is there any real security? Yes. In the Lord. In his kingdom. That his name will be hallowed. And and then the next word there is bread. Give us this day our daily bread. So what is this asking for? Like literal bread? Well, that is part of it. Anybody here going to make it without eating? Have you, ever, have you ever thought where the pattern of praying before a meal kind of comes from? It's rooted in this. Now, this is, not, uh, this is not some legalistic obligation that every time that you sit down for a meal, you should pray. But it's not a bad idea, is it? It's a reminder that I need this. I'm dependent. Every time you eat, it is a confession that you are not your own. (laughs) You did not call yourself in existence. You cannot sustain yourself. You're you're dependent on something outside of yourself to keep you just physically alive, and that's certainly true spiritually. You can't live without eating. I know I've had some meals where I overdid it, and that's why they called me what they called me in Haiti, but, but I've said, I'll never have to eat again. And that went 90 minutes. I mean, we've got such an abundance that, you know, it's often when you try to eat a little better, they'll say, you should cut out what? What should you cut out? Bread. But this people back then, man, they needed bread to live. More than any people who have ever lived, we're tempted to forget God. Because we have such an abundance of material blessing. Man, we are in a spiritual famine in our generation. But just think about this with me. Has that abundance, like, I, I don't think, and if this is true, I'd love to talk to you before you go. I, I, I don't think there's anybody in the room right now where we happen to sit who's saying, I have no idea where my next meal is going to come from. Well, most everybody that Jesus is originally talking to did have that concern. 
That's why when he takes a few fish and a few loaves, and man, everybody gets fed. And, and, and here's an important phrase in the scripture, had their fill. They'd never experienced that. They didn't have leftovers. Jesus has got 12 basketfuls of leftovers. It's then, John 6, they sought to make him king. Why? Because they'd never experienced anything like this. And even though we do have that abundance, are we a more thankful people? You just go around your generation and look around and say, man, people are really thankful, really grateful. Has it made us a more kind people? You've heard of being hangry, right? A little irritated. You're not really hungry. You're just hungry in line of how we usually eat, right? And then you get a little irritated. Man, nobody should ever be hangry. Nobody should be angry. Has it made us a more generous people? Probably past generations would have said, if we could ever get to the point where my uh, shelves are stocked and I got plenty in the fridge, I'll be so much more generous. But that hasn't really happened either, has it? It's made us strangely into a people who are 100% 100 certain that we can thrive without God. And we, again, might be living in a generation in which God reminds us how much we actually do need Him. So bread is a physical component. God, give me what I need today to to live. But again, with Exodus overtones from Exodus 16 and Jesus saying, I am the bread of life, it's not just physical. So I was thinking about it this week, and uh, that word day and daily. Can you think of another time that Jesus uses that word daily? We've already quoted it, actually, right? If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So I think when we ask God for daily bread, we're asking God to give us whatever we need today to follow him. God, give me today spiritually what I need to take up my cross. Do you believe God will do that? Do you believe that God ever gives you a day that from his perspective he'd say, it's okay if you don't take up the cross today. You got to be a little too busy. Look with me down in verse 25, chapter 6. Therefore, speaking here, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. You have a good shepherd. He knows you. He knows your frame. Do you read that and hear him say, just stop being anxious? You know what all that does? This makes you more anxious, doesn't it? Don't be anxious. Is that what Jesus is saying? Therefore... Therefore, do not be anxious about your life. You pull on that thread, therefore, when you read it therefore in the Bible, you pull on the thread and see where, where, what has he just said. And we would get back up here to give us today our daily bread. A lot of times our anxiety is rooted in, in not believing that God will give us what we need. But this is true in my life. A lot of times my anxiety is because I'm worried about something. 
that I honestly in my life can't hold on to if I have taken up the cross. As an example, pleasing other people. A lot of my worry and fear comes from that. We'll talk about that a little bit more maybe next Sunday. I worry too much about, I mean this I hope in a humble way, about what other people would think. You know what I mean? And that's where a lot of my worry comes from. Now, if you've taken up the cross to follow him, that's one of the things that you've died to, right? Paul said, if I were still trying to please people, I could not be a servant of God. So what worries you? Might it be something, since we want to put all the scripture together here, might it be something that's more about the kingdoms of the world than the kingdoms of God, the kingdom of God? God will give you what you need to be a part of his kingdom. He would not be holy to give you what would lead you to want, wanting the kingdoms of the world. And I, I know that's not easy to always figure out, and, and I'm not trying to, to be a faithful shepherd. Sometimes in my life, I want something that I'm so convinced would make my life better. Does this ever happen to anybody? And then you get it, and it didn't. You know what I mean? It's giving you Jesus. I'm going to close this morning with... Uh, in light of this request, what are three things that God wants for your heart as you ask him for daily bread? Three things that I believe that Jesus wants for your heart. Remember, prayer is about the real you. Prayer is taking time to listen to God, speak to God, be still before him, right? To know him. What is it that Jesus wants for your heart in light of this request? Give us today our daily bread. So, so first of all, God wants you to have a heart of contentment. The world does not. In fact, what, what is the original temptation? There's something in your life you shouldn't be content about. God's given you this one tree that you can't eat from. Did God really say? Is God really good? And uh, we, we have an entire industry called marketing that thrives on this. I'm sitting there. My living room, watching a television, the commercial comes on, you might just want to start doing this practice. What is it that they're trying to convince me that I should be discontent about, and what's the solution they've offered me? So that if I get it, I'll be more content, right? Every commercial you see, for the most part, that's what it is about. So if you have Christ, what more could you want? 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. There's great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing in the world, into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. So first, God's glorified when we have a heart of contentment. Second, God wants us to have a heart of, of gratitude. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. A heart of gratitude. And then, none of these come naturally, amen? None of these, are, we're just born with these things. And, and certainly this third one is in line with that. Third, God wants us to have a heart of dependence. A heart of dependence. Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2. Unless the Lord builds the house, 
those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. But we want to get to the place in our life where we say, God, I'm good if you give me heaven at the end of this life. But, but right now, I'm, I'm kind of good living an autonomous, autonomous life. Contentment, gratitude, dependence. Those might be the three most unnatural things to our lives. They don't come naturally. They come by grace. They are things that we can cultivate when we recognize that God will give us our daily bread. All right, let's wrap up, but, but not before we respond to the word. Is this going out on me? Somebody answer me. It is. All right. Check, check. So, so here's how we're going to close. This only works if you're honest before the Lord, right? So I gave you three things the Lord wants to do in your heart. Contentment, gratitude, dependence. Let's take their foils, so to speak, and you just say, is this what is, that, what is in your heart? So contentment is what God wants to cultivate. Grumbling would be the opposite of that, right? From Adam on, the hallmark of those who either do not know God or not abiding in the Lord is grumbling. All right, so, so, so grumbling, if God wants us to have a heart of gratitude, then the foil of that, I think, is actually just kind of taking God for granted. Isn't it the worst in your life when you feel taken for granted? You might not always be accurate about it in your perspective, right? You ever felt taken for granted at work? Taken for granted uh, on the team that you played on? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm here, I'm showing up. Taken for granted in, whew, in your marriage? That's tough. Taken for granted in the church? That's... You take God for granted. Let's, let's turn it around and not make it about you so much, right? Probably not where we want to go in the moment. But think of all that God has done for you. Christ and him crucified. The gift of the Holy Spirit. Providing children who were his enemies, welcoming them to his table. You have so much to be thankful for. Don't take your cues from the culture around you to be a grumbling, irritated, angry, throw up your hands in the air. This whole place has lost its way. Well, friends, a place often loses its way when the people of God have lost their prayerfulness. So don't spend one more moment complaining about the state of things. Spend those moments asking God to make you a person of prayer who has not a grumbling heart, a content heart, not a Taking God for granted heart, but a gratitude heart. And the last one is dependence. What's the opposite or the foil uh, of dependence is autonomy. All right, so in conclusion, what's, what's your heart? Content, grateful, dependent on God, or grumbling, 
taking God for granted and autonomous. And where most of us would land is where this morning? Somewhere in the in-between. Somewhere Monday and somewhere else Tuesday or somewhere at 10 and somewhere else at 1030. But really take inventory. And what, what would your spouse say? Are you content, grateful, and dependent, or grumbling, taking God for granted, or autonomous? What would your children say? What would your best friend in the world say? And most importantly, what would the Holy Spirit say? So here's where we'll really end. Would you use the response time to ask God to help you cultivate one of these that stands out? God, I'm not content. Give me grace to be content in Christ. I'm not a grateful person. Help me to be a grateful person. Or God, I'm trying to live my life apart from you. Help me to be a a dependent person. What are you asking for? Daily bread. Let's stand together. We'll pray together. And we'll respond together this morning. Would you bow your heads with me? You'll never have contentment in your life apart from Christ. A hundred million dollars would never buy you contentment. You'd want 200 million if you got a hundred. In light of Christ being crucified, there's not something else that needs to happen to make you a grateful person. If you're not grateful for Jesus, Christ crucified for your sins in your place, then nothing will ever make you grateful. Or if you're trying to live autonomous, I'll take a little input from God every now and then, but you're not taking up the cross and follow him. Our life's so much better, so much better when we live dependent upon the Lord. So now we need help, God. We need help. I need help. Our church family, we need help right now because there's a temptation and deliver us from this temptation. Sermon's over, wrapping up, moving on. But the things we've seen in your word today are the very things we need to hear from you. So we pray for you to bring the transforming power of the gospel to bear in our real lives. Give us this day our daily bread. In Jesus' name, amen.